Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. Oh, and we're coming to you this episode with a rush of glorious inspiration. Uh, We've been talking for the past few weeks about how all of our hobby progress has been preparing for a, a gathering of the nerds, if you will. We've been getting ready to have all sorts of people over to my place for us to have what we call Joe HammerCon, where I, I cram my house full of nerds who really like playing these little plastic toy games, and then we play it until our And eyes then it got bleed. canceled. <laughs> well, the first <laughs> one did get canceled due to COVID, because, you know, we scheduled it God for my name. birthday, which is in, like, end of March 2020, and uh, when we planned it in November, it seemed like a fine thing to do. We yeah. were wrong. Turns out, world's a different place now. Uh. <laughs> sure is, John. Sure is. Time is compressible and also unable to be perceived. Thanks for that realization. But uh, roughly one month or three eons later, uh, you know, we've been able to start doing the Joe Hammercons. And this past weekend, we did our second one. And, uh, y'all, we had a blast. And it was maybe all the more fun compared to the first one because we learned some stuff during the first one. Uh, we did an episode on it and sort of the idea of running small events yourselves and why you should do it and maybe what you should think about if you're going to do it. And uh, we followed all of our own advice, which we usually struggle to do. And hey, it went pretty well, I would say. Even though our friend Tanner blew me off the table before my second turn. He, blew was, him right off the table. I did Done. not see second turn. He was like, all right, I'm going to start fighting. And then that was that. It was a blast. So good. So proud. Um, yeah, we had an absolute ball of a time. And we're going to talk all about it in the hobby progress. But afterwards, we kind of got to talk about something that uh, was... At first, just a small ember of an idea in the back of our collective group consciousness that we kind of sort of went, yeah, that might be a cool thing to do sometime. But after playing together at Joe HammerCon, we need to do an imminently. On this episode, we're going to talk about the idea of Crusade, of what it is, why we think it's so cool, and how we're going to run ours, and maybe throw some of them rules out the window. We thought it'd be a fun discussion. Before we hop into that, hobby time and games played. All right, John. Uh, I'd ask you what you've been doing, but I have a feeling I know exactly what it is. Uh, so we're going to talk about Joe Hammercon. But first, I need to talk about the thing that I made last night. <laughs> yeah, this may, may or not be tied to the crusade. Yeah, um, it is tied to the crusade. I'm, I'm going to warn all of you now, it is. I built a Gene Stealer cult food truck. <laughs> it's got a pure strain Gene Stealer inside of a trailer with like a fridge in it, and he's like holding out a skull. And as one of our friends, Perry, uh, so aptly has coined it, it is the come buy your $1 cheese skulls 
until we burn all of the Imperials off this fucking planet. You can get these $1 cheese skulls, so come eat your fucking cheese skulls. <laughs> uh, I have seen the many. It's glorious and dumb in all the best ways. I guess it's very stupid. I uh, I'm a huge fan. And so I'm going to run this entire narrative campaign as if I am uh, trying to take over the 7-Elevens and start a whole entire like chain of Gene Sitter cult food trucks across the Imperium. Or something else dumb like that. Uh, we're going to be having very different campaigns, but we'll talk about that later in the show. Um, what else have you been up to? I mean, obviously Joe Hammercod, but did you have a whole lot of prep you were doing like the week before? Because let me tell you, I did. I had a lot of prep in the sense that like I had to get a lot of stuff done ahead of time so that I didn't have to stress about it with Joe Hammercon. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I didn't get all the painting done I wanted to do. I didn't finish the army. Uh, I did do some last minute printing because um, I goofed. And then, you know, just kind of base stuff. I got a lo- I got a lot of base coating done. I got a, like some details done. I only had one model that was unpainted. Like everything else was painted, just not as well as I wanted it to be. And mostly just prepping to get ready. Uh, I think the biggest struggle for me for getting ready for Joe Hammercon in general is just remembering that like transporting models is a thing I have to do when I'm not playing at my own house. You do. And you got to transport them for like an hour and a half to two hour drive. Yeah. Which is a whole other ball game. I mean... You, did you do your time-honored shoebox method? I didn't. I graduated from the shoebox method and used something else this time. Oh? Yeah, it was pretty good. I used a plastic bin. Ah, a shoebox but made of plastic. Yeah, but I like I, I made them nicer. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to come up with some other like interesting ways of transporting models, like using a five-gallon bucket with like layers of magnet trays. Because, like, I really want magnet racks, but it's so expensive. <laughs> it can be. It can be. Uh, the nice thing, though, is once you get magnet rack, you that's it. You, you have one, you're done. Um, that's the best bit. And, I mean, John, if you need ideas, uh, you know, I'm part of this podcast, and we did a whole episode on it that you could listen to at your convenience. That's a great plug. It's too bad we're hacks and terrible at it that this... Not job that make doesn't make us money. Zero dollars. <laughs> Actually, negative dollars. Real, actual negative dollars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tra- getting your stuff ready to transport is a whole thing. Although I had uh, sort of similar but opposite problems. I was hosting, so I didn't have to like transport my models but downstairs. But then I had to prep the whole house because everybody was coming over. So... Like, my, like, two days just before Drew HammerCon was similarly eaten up with stuff that wasn't mini-painting, because, you know, you have to clean everything. Which got done in time, but, you know, it's a thing. We we were all just, like, also having to plan stuff, like, what's gonna, what are we doing for food? What are we doing with this? How are we doing this? Da, da, da. And, like, I'm over here going, I just want to play Plastic Iron Man. I don't give a shit if I eat, like, 400 pizza rolls by the end of the weekend, and that's all I you know, consume for three days. Let's go. I understand this urge, John. We got to plan just a little. And it's all right. I'm, a, I'm allowed to act like I'm 15 until I hit 40. Once I hit 40, then I have to chill out. Until then, I'm going to just wreck everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, 
I, I similarly spent most of my time before the weekend painting. Um, but sadly, as for all the people out there, my centerpiece model did not get here in time. So I painted like 1,500 points of Caradron Overlords and kicked ass. And uh, then my big boat model did not get here in time, despite being ordered over a month and a half ago. Um, so I, there was no time to paint it. Uh, the weekend of the event, Friday night, we, we play starting 9 a.m. Saturday morning. Uh, I get a text from my store saying, hey, your boat's here. And I look outside and heavy snow is starting to fall. And I went, huh, you could go get it, but you might die. And then I grabbed my keys and I was out the door. Um, you know, it had to be done. It had to be done. I, otherwise, I'd have to push around this little empty base in the middle of this beautiful table of models that I painted everything else for, it would have just been sad. Yeah, it would have made your eventual getting dunked by a mock crusher way more sad. Way sadder. It was already a little sad, but it would have just been pitiful. Um, so I, I literally got that model Friday night at like 8.30, and then my wife speed built it while drinking that night. It was a wonderful act of love. 10 out of 10 wife material. Wood wife again. Um, but other than that, I, I actually prepped the army really well. I planned my time accordingly. I feel like I learned a lot about sort of planning a project from the last time we did this. And if, if it had got here when it was supposed to be, uh, I would have slid into home plate with 2,000 points fully painted and ready to go. But, you know, logistics issues kind of get in the way. Things happen. All right. These things, they happen. What can you do? Some, sometimes a fourth of your list doesn't arrive until the night before. It happens. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, but, however, we did have a heck of a weekend for tabletop wargaming. Uh, I got... A lot of orcs. A lot of orcs. There were so, so many, many iron orcs. jaws at this weekend. Um, and there was flesh eater quartz, which are kind of just like undead orcs. Which I love about them. Uh, I got three games in... John, you got three in also, right? Yes, I got in three games. Yeah. Um, if you count our last game. I count it. I count it. It was a group game, but it was still a game. Uh, for me, my first game as Caradron Overlords was going up against uh, Seth and uh, his Slanesh. And, ooh, buddy, that was a, a clinic in target acquisition and destruction. I mean... Seth's stuff, he gave me turn one. I looked at his two biggest units and went, those must die. And then they died. <laughs> <laughs> I went, I want to kill those. Bang, they're dead. <laughs> well, like it was my first game as like playing KO. Uh, and I had that moment where he's like, all right, you get first turn. Like, okay. What do I do? <laughs> I could sit back. And I could hold and do nothing on my first turn and then give him priority and then maybe just try to be reactive and I can be very delicate and gentle and hang on back here. Or I could shove all my boats down his throat and blow him off the table before his big threat pieces get to move. YOLO! <laughs> hey Alexa, play Despacito as <laughs> the Admiral flies directly into the face of a Keeper of Secrets. Yeah, uh, roughly 
three quarters of my army dropped together on his right flank and just picked up a keeper of secrets and terribly wounded an exalted hero on a big old chariot thing. Um, and I didn't quite kill the chariot thing, but then it tried to charge me and died on the charge, which was unfortunate for it. And then Sigvald made a charge into me and that didn't go very well for him. It was, it was a time. And by the time Seth was able to sort of like chop through the storm of fire and the smoke cleared, there just wasn't enough murdery stuff on the table for uh, him to come back on the points. And uh, we called it after two hours or so. But it was a heck of a game. Had to really risk it for the biscuit and it worked out. Yeah. Uh, my first game was an absolute slobber knocker. Oh, I it saw was. That. Yeah, we both picked up a good 80 to 90% of our forces. It was something else. That's a great game right there. It was a new Beast of Chaos. Like, they still have a new battle tome, but they do have white dwarf rules, which basically revived the faction. And so it was Beast of Chaos versus new Iron Jaws, except for it was oops all pigs. (laughs) And so it was pigs and boars. I'm sorry, it was pigs versus bulls. Mm-hmm. With some goats in there and a big cabbage dragon, and it was just beating beating the ever living tar out of each other the entire time. It was just like monster fighting monster, bulls fighting uh, pigs, demon princes flying all over the place, big giant bull monsters fighting giant cabbages, like centigors, like centaur goat dudes running directly headlong into their death. It was fantastic. It sounds incredible. I summoned a, I summoned a, I summoned a chimera. And so at one point we like we we were neck and neck for like three turns. It wasn't until like the end of turn three did I eke out just enough of a like victory point advantage and then also rolled really well on a double turn to do some damage. Ooh. Like the double turn is what won me the game. Uh but Honestly, I wouldn't have even been able to win in the double turn if Tanner would have made like slightly different decisions in the first round. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a very close game of Warhammer. It was very good. It made my uh, second game of Warhammer feel uh, not so bad when I got spanked <laughs> by Lucas's Night Haunt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who knew that uh, an army that was all about having high rend Going up against an army that ignores all rend was going to be rough. Well, it was rough, but what ended up actually costing the game is I just couldn't do any of the things that I needed to do when they needed to be done. And I made some poor choices in like movements and deployment, first off. Like, I think he definitely beat me out on deploying his stuff more synergistically. And I just didn't bring my A game to the game. Mm-hmm. And he did just kind of wipe me, wipe me down. It did have one of my favorite moments of the weekend, though, where like I started counting up all the wounds that I had saved. And I was like, okay, okay, cool, cool. Each of these things are two wounds a piece. I'm going to save because my 40K brain's kicking it. I'm like, okay, there's two there, two there, two there, two there. And I'm not thinking that they're two damage. And he just, I'm like, okay, so one, one survives. Okay, one survives. Cool. And I turn and I look up at Lucas, and he makes the sign of us like like pantomimes a scythe, and just goes two damage, <laughs> and 
and wipes the whole squad. And <laughs> it was perfect. It was so it was such a funny moment. Uh, and there was just there's lots of little moments like that in my second game where it was, oh yeah, I think I do really good things. And he would go, Yeah, but ghosties. <laughs> uh I definitely want to fight his night haunt again. I think fighting his night haunt as like Skaven would be hilarious. So maybe maybe that'll be a future future uh, fight. I mean, that's a that would be a match where we could save on not having to buy a gaming mat, because there's going to be so many models, you'll never see what's below their bases. Yeah. It'll be amazing. I'll bring like four hundred rats. Screw it. Just get to push both Clan your Vernus. armies around with a dust pan. We'll just remove the re- the the restriction on reinforcement rules. I'll play Skaven. Good God. Uh, what size is that Skaven slave unit? Uh, yes, this is one cubic foot of Skaven. Oh uh, yeah. Um, I it's a five gallon bucket of clan rats. Um, my bad. Roughly. What about you? How was your second game? I know the answer, <laughs> but for the listeners, I'm going to pretend like I don't. <laughs> uh, it was bad. <laughs> um, I had my second game into our buddy Tanner, uh, who brought his iron jaws that were really like firing on all cylinders. Uh, and I was playing KO, which are not an army firing on all cylinders. Uh, and like, you know how before uh, you play an army for the first time, you read a percentage statistic and you're like, oh, this army has like a 43 to 45% win rate. Like that's, I know that's not great, but like how bad could that really feel on the tabletop? Uh, had a little reality check, little reality check. Um, so like Tanner deploys and I deploy and we have multiple objectives and I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, I can... Hop to this side of the board. I could drop some units off. I could then hop back over here, grab another objective. I could start on my deployment zone to grab those immediately. And maybe if I could just survive a little bit and kill a key piece at the start, I could kind of outlast him over a little bit of time. Uh, you know, I just, I will kill the Maw Crusher immediately. And then whatever firepower is left over, I try to kill a unit of pigs. Uh, so, like, let's see what that does. Game starts. I get my first turn. I put. Almost 1,200 points of shooting into a Maw Crusher with a functional 2-up save. Maybe 1-up with the ability to ignore Rend and stuff. Um, Those 1,200 points didn't kill it. Just didn't kill it. Did nothing. Like, I wounded it pretty badly, and then he got to heal. So, like, it it was just rip-roared and ready to go. Uh, And... Then he got his turn. He made three of his units double move. uh, Made two of his units double damage. uh, Did a couple of like long bomb charges with plus one to charge. And then also had minus one rend across the whole army. Uh, while also doing some like war chant buffs, one of them was the heal, the other was a, a plus to wound. Uh, it was terrible. Uh, and I gave him the advice, like, yeah, you could send in these art boys to absorb the Overwatch from the big boat. The big boat could not even kill one unit of art boys. It was awful. 
and then he deleted my army before I got a chance to react. Because they have this rule called smashing and bashing, where if they kill a unit, they immediately get to activate another orc unit somewhere. And uh, he activated his first unit and didn't do the smashing and bashing. And like, you know where you have that internal monologue with yourself where you're like, oh no, your opponents made a mistake. Well, if I don't say anything, I could probably survive and try to win this thing. But then I'd also be a dickhead. Alright, I'm gonna help him kill me real, real bad. And that's what I decided to do. It's like, hey man, like let, let's have a talk about sequencing real quick. Uh, and it's a, it was a nice teachable moment of all the stuff that we talk about in the podcast. When, like, I could have just been an insufferable shithead. Uh, chose not to. You should also choose not to for people out there in listener land. And instead taught him how the rule worked. And talked him through the sequencing on how he, what he should choose over and over so that he can make sure he kills something with every swing so that I don't get to engage with his army and he just gets to do all of his attacks all across the board. Yeah, yeah that was a that was a rule that we didn't understand, like we didn't know before. Like, because I don't know a lot about Iron Jaws. <laughs> mm-hmm. I should have. But he, he thought smashing and bashing was, I can have a unit that hasn't charged, charge in a fight. That's how we played it. And then we were wrong. <laughs> no. Looking back at the first game after finding out that's how that worked, our first game would have been much different. <laughs> yeah, it's a very strong rule. Incredibly strong. Uh, and, I mean, he started his attack chain. I didn't get to interrupt. And he obliterated my entire army in one activation. Uh, it was brutal. And I'm like, oh. This is, this is what people mean by KO or the shooting faction and not good at it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how it feels to play Chaos Space Marines in uh, Ninth Edition. I felt like one of the memes just like, hey, what's that? Oh, this here is the Caradron Overlords. There's their premier shooting faction of Age of Sigmar. Oh, cool. Are they good at it? <laughs> no, <laughs> like it, it killed me. Uh, it was a hysterical to watch, but brutal for a game. Just brutal. <laughs> there are no Luminoth Realm Lords. That's or, for sure. Or Cities of Sigmar. Or Stormcast and Turtles. Sigmar alone. You leave Cities of Sigmar alone. They're allowed to be good at shooting. Or Daughters of Cain. I mean, or that Seraphon. That's kind of ridiculous. Also kind of ridiculous. <laughs> You're telling me the shooting army shoots worse than the dinosaurs? What is this? Dinosaur DNA. And it shoots worse than the melee blood worshippers? What are we doing? Spare no expense. What are we spare, doing? Spare, spare no expense. Uh, so good. So confusing. So funny. Ludonarrative dissonance. It exists. Um, But it was a fun time. It was a nice moment for me to kind of practice what I preach. Uh, and then we all took a break for dinner and then did a big old group game where uh, we put together some teams where we had three on three action for the rest of the evening. Instead of trying to cram in like two more games, we were just going to do one big game together. And uh, it was two Iron's Jaws forces and a Caradron Overlord's force together versus 
three Chaos factions, one of which was Slanesh, the other was uh, John's Beast of Chaos, and the third was uh, Korn, but with Bellacor helming the, the army. And uh, the mission was really simple. Bellacor needs, to, well, the Chaos faction needs to kill the giant boat that is using the orcs as a screen to, like, accomplish their uh, revenge on Bellacor. Or Bellacor needs to die. Like, that was the goal. And uh, what unfolded over the next few turns was, like, the most bloody thing I've seen in a long, long time. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of death on that table. Yeah, yeah. We started at 9 p.m., we ended at 3 a.m. Uh, so many dead models. To be fair, daylight savings time. <laughs> That's true. So functionally, like, 2, 2.30 is when we stopped. But, you know, we lost an hour in between. But still, it was a long match, and there was just so much killing to be done. Um, who knew that if you had a strong melee force combined with a thousand points of murder... Shooting that it'd be good. Turns yeah, it out, was very good. It was it was pretty rad. It was if you hate chaos, you would have loved to watch that game. Yeah, just a bunch of orcs going, "Oh, I get them!" And as they charge forward, thinking the booming clouds above them are Gork and Mork guiding the way, and it's actually a thousand points of Caradron Overlord, just like a hero inside of a big boat with ten thunder unleashing death on any key target that would slow down the orcs. We just kind of made like a, a pointed spearhead towards Bellacor and where he was at and like a little tail of chaffing resistance behind. And uh, that was an effective strategy, gotta say. Uh, John did almost find a gap in the defenses with some really, really fast beastie shenanigans. That was neat. Mm-hmm. Threw a chimera didn't, at my rear end, literally. Didn't quite work, but yeah. I did shoot it out of the sky, yes. Mm-hmm. 110%. That is how that math do. But yeah, it was really fun. How that math do. And, uh, you know, we got towards the end of the match. Bellacor died to the round of shooting from the uh, Ironclad after we essentially went, y'all, it's too late. We just got to roll these dice. Let's ignore all the other bullshit. And it was a victory for the dwarves. Which they badly needed <laughs> after the thorough <laughs> ass-kicking. And, uh, you know, we had all that fun, and we all went to sleep, and we woke up the next morning uh, like zombies. But what we couldn't help but talk about was the idea that we were so having so much fun playing these little minis together that maybe we should fire up the... Uh, you know, uh, an idea that we had kind of put to the side a little while back. An idea about Crusade. All right, John. So, Crusade. Uh, it was something that kind of, like, enamored all of us. Uh, after we had got done gaming, we had talked about, like, hey, this was really fun. Like, we should try to do this again and plan the next Joe HammerCon. And uh, we threw in the idea that maybe next Joe HammerCon can be a finale, and in between, we can have smaller mini games so we don't just play like two days a year. Um, 
or we could have a narrative crusade style force where everybody is building their own army slowly as we go to play with each other. And the next Joe Hammercon would just be the weekend long finale of everything that's been happening. And specifically, we wanted to be able to tell a story with it because we're a bunch of story based nerds. We're all lore whores. Some of us more than others. Hey, oh, um, but if we're going to talk about it on the podcast, like about us doing crusade, I want to talk about what it is. And then I want to talk about why we like it so much. And then lastly, I think we're going to end the show with exactly what we're going to do and what rules we're going to throw out in a discussion around it. But John, do you, I think it's fair to start with like, what the heck is a crusade? So a crusade is the Warhammer 40k version of Path to Glory for Age of Sigmar, if you know what that is. But to boil it down even more, is a structure for running and playing narrative campaigns, either using the Crusade rules in your codex, mm-hmm. using the base rules in the rulebook, or using one of the Warzone books that are currently out. Yep. And it comes in different flavors now but originally it was everything was the same points level uh, power level actually power level and you had the same units that with a roster that you picked from to build a force every time that leveled up and got abilities and warlord traits and relics and yada 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 tons of different stuff it's like a it's like a mixture of D with like warhammer uh, but i love everything about that yeah with like a little bit of XCOM in there some over overhead campaign features. It's like pen and paper Total Warhammer. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm glad this is an audio format, or I would be booted off of YouTube if it was video. Just indecent over here, John. I'm too excited. Talk about nothing. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Talk about folks. Um, <laughs> Talk about folks. Yeah, I think that's largely the gist of it. It was made as an idea that you could get together with a group of consistent people, whether that's your buds or like a gaming group or hobby club or something. And you can all... Someone you bribe to play this fucking game with you? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody you could just like beg to play. And then you can all play together over time in a consistent sort of game night. And, uh, you know, you would tell a little story with your faction about like your hero who could gain experience or maybe die or, you know, foot troops, they could do the same. And, uh, it's just so freaking cool. Like we read all these novels about how cool some of these characters are and the growth that these factions have, uh, and the things and trip, like the things they gain and the tribulations they go through. I mean, look at Gaunt's ghosts for an example. Um, and it's so compelling. And this is your way to tell a little piece of that story, if you're so inclined. And uh, I think that's the niche Crusade is meant to fill. And some of that is really why we were so pulled to it. So I think for us, largely, um, why we want Crusade, why we want to do a Crusade together so badly is that narrative games. Well, I will say narrative gaming has a small piece in every game you ever play. Every army shows up to the table with a little story if you're so inclined to care about it. 
You know, there's fluff that makes the inbound balance of each book, you know, who the factions, who the leaders are, where they come from, what world they're from, maybe what they're kind of trying to do. Uh, same thing for your opponent. And if you're so inclined, you could tell that little story in your head of, you know, oh, I'm coming here to get the relic. But most pickup games are lacking a robust story element, just by nature of what they are. You know, it is hard to sit down with someone you don't know and go, hey, man, like, I want to tell this story. Uh, do you want to maybe think about uh, our characters' backstories and their compelling yet conflicting motivations, which will end with both of them being correct in their own justified worldviews, but still having to kill one another regardless? That, that's a lot to ask of someone that you maybe just met. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I find the best way of explaining it is like your normal game or your pickup game is kind of like every strategy game's random encounter or like time you have to fight somebody so that you can complete this minor objective or side objective as opposed to like main story missions or main story combat in which we're much more funky, the much more weird. Uh, take some risks. Might start off imbalanced kind of thing. There might be some cutscenes, by the love of God. Boy, howdy. Uh, might get weird. And I feel like that's that's what we're trying to get to with this campaign, right? We're not trying to have perfectly balanced games constantly for like six months. Yeah. We're trying to tell a weird story. Like, I'm going to be playing Gene Circle, for instance, and I might lose every single game. But if we tell a cool story... I'm not going to care. I'm here for my, uh, you know, Gene Sealer Cult food truck and my dirt bikes and my Toyota Hilux. <laughs> you could have so many technicals, John. So many technical. Many technical, brother. Yeah, I mean, the, the focus becomes the narrative in a way that pickup games just aren't usually, and it's delightful. Uh, and also, it's slow grow, and you're going to be telling the story not just through one match, but multiple matches. And things are going to naturally happen to your models, or your characters, or your vehicles. You know, those things and stories that we all remember forever are going to happen to you, as they do when you game. You know, it's a game of statistics and dice. Uh, you are going to have someone, eventually, that may roll like four sixes on a save thing and keep themselves alive when they absolutely shouldn't have. And you might end up giving them a special name or a special ability because of it. You know, call them the Ironclad. Because they stood up to this withering fire that should have killed any other mortal being. Uh, or in uh, the opposite direction, as happens, you might have like one pitiful guardsman shoot his one last rifle into a badly wounded tank. And through a bunch of terrible and great roles, kill that thing. And now he's promoted, he's the leader. Um, you know, these are little things that happen to us constantly that are just kind of fun memories. But when you're in a crusade campaign, you really get to work that into the story. There is a permanent gravitas to those characters because of what they experienced as part of the, the campaign that you're in. And the group story that they're a little piece of. And for us, I think that's also incredible. Because it makes every time you sit down to hobby on that model, 
more engaging. You know, you're, yeah. you're just going to look at them differently from that point on. Yeah, and it helps inform how you're going to paint, right? Like when we sit down to paint a unit or paint a squad, right? Unless we're batch painting large amounts of stuff for a game, we're thinking about like, what's this dude do? What has he done? What is he going to do? Who does he fight? And tell like a narrative with the paint job that we're doing or the basing that we're doing. And it's easier when you know who you've been fighting. Like you have a system that you and your buddies built that you guys are fighting in with like planets and the make basing schemes off of that. Like you might add little trinkets and stuff on the bases from the different factions you're fighting stuff or, like that or bits bits for conversions. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, if your guy took down like a big old Carnifex, maybe your buddy has some leftover Tyranid bits that you slap on there for battle honors. Why not? He did the thing. He earned it. Uh, and that, that's just so fun. Um, and I think the last bit that really gets us, that I'm already alluding to, is that you're not just telling a story by yourself. You're not writing a Warhammer novel alone. Instead, you are getting together with a group of people to tell a story together. You know, you are all bringing something to this campaign. You're all going to have different factions with different goals, probably very different objectives. And varying campaign mechanics that you're going to have to try to figure out how to work together and interact in the world. And through that being the ultimate end, you're going to make a collaborative story. Which, you know, for people out there who play D&D, you already know how fun this is. But if you haven't dipped your toes in, it is a really unique experience that I hope you try at some point. Because for us, it's a blast. And that is, I think, the biggest seller for us. Uh, just with our personalities and group. I mean, John, we wrote stories for like 90 people for LARP. Um, yeah, some 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 big number where we had to write for a whole bunch of people. Some shocking like, number. Like very reactive and interactive shared stories where we weren't the end-all be-all of what happens. Like we wrote stories where other players got to take actions and do things in an environment and setting we made. And this is kind of similar, just with little plastic army men instead of, like, foam swords out in the woods. Exactly. But a similar concept that, like, you set a stage with everyone's buy-in, and then, you know, you're just kind of out there moving around in it. Yeah. However, John, we're, we're not quite running things exactly out of the book, are we? Nope. GW made some poor decisions, in my opinion. If other people like it, you're allowed to. And I said that that's dumb. Yeah, um, not all of the crusade mechanics really work for us, but that's why we're just going to take some of them and throw them out so that it could be fun for us. And this is a thing I kind of want to talk about before we move on to exactly how, how we're going to be doing our crusade. But the idea of sort of rules being an untouchable taboo, because uh, one of the players in our group... Uh, Lucas, hey Lucas, uh, when we first brought up the idea, he was genuinely concerned, he's a newer player, and he's like, oh, how do, how do, like, how do we make all these rules work together? Like, what if, you know, like, what if they don't click? I don't know how we're going to balance this thing. Uh, and gently put, you know, we explained it long form there, but you, you kind of don't have to. Um, 
It is a narrative campaign amongst a small group where you're all going to be interacting on a regular basis. For us, it's a campaign that isn't competitive. It's based around a story with friends in playing in the group. And as such, you can have a conversation to throw out just about anything that isn't working for y'all. Anything at all that gives you some frustration or some friction and nobody likes it. Just toss it. Why not? Yeah, this is not a tournament, right? This isn't even a narrative-like event with strangers. This is a bunch of dudes getting together who regularly play this game together and tell stories. Which is very easy to just take stuff you don't like, especially in a, in a secondary system within the core system of itself in the game, and throw it out. It's not like we're throwing away whole data sheets, right? For, fa for factions. It's not like we're taking out entire faction rules. Like, no. if we decide that, like, man, like, an example that we're using, the requisition and the way you get requisition didn't work for us because, well, we've got guys who might not be able to play all the time. We've got guys that play hours away that can't play regularly with with us. And we are playing in two separate states. It's true. And so it's easier to so that we all feel like we're relatively on the same level that we get requisition points at intervals, like, right? Like every week or two weeks or whatever we decide, like that's what we're going to do. Um, because if someone misses a couple weeks because life happens, we're all adults, it doesn't feel bad, right? You don't feel like, oh, I'm falling behind in my crusade, might as well not show up. Now everybody else is running around with 1,500 points and I'm at only 1,000. Like, yeah. just nobody likes to be the level four rogue and no one likes being the level four wizard in a party full of like level nine characters. No, it kind of sucks. Um, yeah. So for us, we're just changing it. Uh, you, you could just do that. So for us, the, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to levelize a requisition gate so that everybody has similar requisition. Well, I should say similar, exact the same requisition. You know, if you win terribly, you know, you stomp your opponent, they're blown off the board. Whatever, you're still getting the same requisition. If you lose terribly, I mean, you're still getting the same requisition. The incentive to be a tryhard is just gone. And if you can't make it because you live five hours away, that's all right. You know, just play when you can. We'll make it work out because that's what works for us. Also, and also <clears throat> being able to go, hey, we're all at roughly the same power level. You don't need to worry about winning. People won't necessarily try to win games. They'll try to play for the narrative. Mm -hmm. So if the narrative of this mission is I got to defend this like little small outpost in the middle of nowhere... Well, I'm going to try to defend this little small outpost in the middle of nowhere. I'm not going to try to like spread across the board and use all the secondaries to get the most amount of secondary points while holding objectives like I do in every game. No, I'm going to try to hold this little square. I'm going to hold this quadrant of this, this table. For whatever reason, this matters to the story. And by God, I'm so bought in. I'm not moving. You have to drag my corpse out of here to get me to leave this place. And I love that. Oh my God, that's good. Um, also, one of the things we're going to do is for us, we want to use this as an opportunity to hobby as a group because every time we've had to hobby as a group for Joe HammerCon, for like an event, we have had a blast. And it's also just been incredible motivation for all of us. We get so much more hobbying done when we're kind of pushing towards a group goal. 
So for us, we're going to try to play into that. And instead of having like one power level that we stay at the whole time, we're going to do a slow grow league because that for us would make us hobby more. It would keep us more engaged. It would, you know, you start with a small force and then over time you build it up until the next Joe Hammercon, we have a big finale where we all fight each other. And while that's, I, I've been told that there are now Slogo rules, but that wasn't the case at the start. But whatever, we just decided how to do it on our own, because it would work better for us. So we just decided breakpoints. You know, for the first month, we're going to play at 500, well, 25 power level. The next breakpoint, we're going to be playing at 50, and then 75, and then 100 for the finale. Um, and you could just do that with a conversation with everybody playing. And, uh, you know, it's a definitely a deviation from the rules, but it just works so much better for us. And again, we're just trying to give examples of how you could change things to better fit your group for whatever you need. Um, and John kind of alluded to this earlier, but like, we're also leaning heavily into a narrative heavily. Uh, so for us, the story of like small groups getting in skirmishes and then having this ever escalating war as forces grow to try to take the sectors just fits so well for all of our armies. Um, and we're also going to introduce the idea of sectors, like sectors of space with multiple planets in them. Uh, so for John and I, our campaign mechanics require that we both try to take over a sector and there are rules for like auto generating planets. And we were kind of talking through what to do with those. And we had the realization that if John has his own sector, and I have my own sector of space that we're both vying for separately, uh, he can have uh, people who live geographically near him, like the players who live geographically near him, fighting over his sector of space with him. And then I, the northern group, can have my own sector that I'm mechanically fighting for, as is like the uh, narrative rules in the Tau book. But I could have the northern people fighting over my sector with me, giving us objectives between games and during games as we tell this grander story of trying to colonize or integrate or destroy this weird little out, uh, little fringe sector on the edge of known space. And I, for us, that's going to work wonderfully because it gives us a reason to keep fighting each other. Um, for example, I'm playing Tau, so I'm going to be coming in as an integration force where, you know, the Tau have been trying to get this sector of space to join their Tau empire for a while now. But one thing that will really kill those negotiations is if these terrible, terrible other factions come in and start killing the populace. Because then negotiations can't happen anywhere. Uh, and I'm going to be trying to hold back this tide of uh, Imperial invaders uh, with the Sisters of Battle and Travis is running Black Templars? I mean, that'll change by the end of the week. Um, but for now, it's Black Templar where I'm trying to hold back these terrible, terrible faith-based zealots uh, while they are trying to subjugate the system conversely and burn out the Xenos and any sympathizers to kill them and take over with an iron fist. And I just love that. 
I love it so much. It gives us a group effort to work around and towards. And you could bet your bottom dollar every time we look at an objective marker, we're going to go, ooh, what is that little piece? Like, what's that little piece of the table? What's there? Is it like a yeah, supply like, depot? Is it like a bunch of civilians are trying to get out? Is it a vehicle that's important? A research station? It, and, and I alluded earlier to like, I am building terrain pieces to fit a board that I'm going to build for a planet to tell a narrative with that matches with my force that will, you know, work with one of the other people I'm going to play with a lot, Tanner. Like, he's not even playing Speed Freak Orcs versus, like, Dirt Bike, Truck, Gene Stealer Cult. So, it's all Speed, Mad Max, Guardians Galaxy silliness over here. Like, it, it, we can also play different flavors, right? And mm -hmm. see what happens when they mash. Like, what happens when you mix your mashed potatoes with your peas kind of thing? Deliciousness. That's what happens. Yeah. I prefer to mix corn with mashed potatoes, though. I mean, whatever. I'm also going to build a speedway covered in jeans to their colts with tiny little bags of Doritos and Mountain Dew. It's going to be great. God, I like, can't wait. <laughs> I'm taking this seriously. Not at all. Like, I, don't <laughs> get me wrong. I love the lore. I love all the serious stories. I'm a big fan of all of it. But I think that sometimes it's just great to make it just a halfway silly cosmic horror faction. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that does tie into our last thing. The last deviation we're going to have from normal rules, and this might be the biggest one, because it's extra. Y'all, this is extra as hell. <laughs> if you're out there listening to this, you do not have to go as far as what we're going to do. I'm going to preface that, you know, I'm going to preface this statement with that, because it's way much. But for us, we are going to make content for each other between the matches to talk about the story of our sectors, of our characters, of our units, to share with one another. In multiple mediums, there might be audio drama, like many audio dramas. There might be written journals. There might be uh, like written combat logs. There might be Smashed aerial video trailers. Yeah, like crappy high school AMV music video sort of deal out of generic footage. Oh my god, Joseph, I gotta make a Naruto AMV with headstrong my trap. Breaking the Habit AMV. Oh my god. Yes. Oh, the Keller Morph can be Sasuke. Sasuke. Oh uh, uh, no. <laughs> uh, I don't I'm playing the Tao who have no psychers. Uh so that means I am Rock Lee cuz I have no jutsus. Uh, and John, I hate to tell you, but now is the springtime of youth. I don't want you to take off your weights. I'm going to drop the uh, weights. I'm going to unleash all inner gates. You are uh, doomed. Is your thick fish commander just Hinata? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my thick fish commander is definitely going to have the honor gauntlets so that his hands are rated E for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till someone charges him and he hits them with the Kanoa Leaf Hurricane. Uh, God, it's going to be good. But yeah, we oh are going God. to go above and beyond and we're going to make stories for each other between matches. However we want to do that, uh, that go beyond the mechanics. And I don't mean that like, you know, you spend some XP to tell a story, to get a thing, to do a stuff. No, like we're just, we're just telling a story. Um, I can already feel it. I'm going to write a short story about a journey of one 
one surviving member of an Adeline Jackal squad who has lost all of his like synaptic link with his brothers because they have died and his perilous trip to the 7-Eleven like miles away from the combat to meet up with the rest of the gang and to get some dying Mountain Dew and a tornado off that roller grill. Uh, I have a story brewing in my head about a little robot that I, I, I've been brewing for days. Uh, Much like the coffee at the Seven Eleven, it's been brewing. And uh, I, I might genuinely hurt Lucas with it a little, and I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, but like, the, I love the idea that we're just so invested in the story that there, there's no need for a mechanical incentive. There. There's no experience you gain from this. There's no victory points you get. There's there's no winning. There's no trophy. There's no prize. You're just here to tell a story. And your reward for telling the story is getting to keep telling the story together. Yeah, that's the entire point, is that we just get to have a good time and tell each other rad stories. And when this is over and we do our finale at the next JoHammerCon, we'll just do it again, but with something else. <laughs> it's like that... It's like that meme with the the messed up Goofy that just says, I'll do it again. Like, it's, you want to see me do it again? Yeah. It's just going to be us doing it every time. Whether it's with Warhammer or Silver Bayonet or Infinity or whatever. Like, even if we play pickup games, we want to get better at this whole collaborative narrative thing with each other. We play these games with each other all the time. So let's just keep doing this and kind of pushing the limits of an ordinary pan and story. Yeah, and for us, like, after some discussion, these changes and rules and this sort of extra story effort is what works for us and our group. But if you're interested in Crusade, and you're healing, hearing all this and going, I don't know if that's for me, that's cool. But what is for you? That's my question. Like, if this doesn't fit for you, what would fit for you? What would work for your group? And if there's some ideas you have that, like, Maybe we're not thinking of that you think might help us with our campaign. Feel free to let us know. Please do. Drop drop a comment. Tweet at us. Yell at Joe on Instagram. Whichever. We're on these social media things. Uh, and we are not afraid to take suggestions. We do it fairly often. Um, just ask Shane. Stuff happened because of him. And if you have great ideas, we'll implement them right into our Crusade game. Because it hasn't started yet. And it'd be a great time to put those changes in. And if you want to go above and beyond, and maybe you're kind of liking the idea of getting your own crusade thing running, take this video and share it with your group. Share it with your buds. Um, it helps us a lot, but also you might be able to kind of start a little conversation and try to get them interested in doing a crusade together so y'all can find your own fun way to have consistent gaming over a couple of months. Might be worth doing, and we'd appreciate it. And in the meantime... We're going to keep coming up with uh, ideas and hobbying on our crusade forces. And there will probably be a couple of episodes of uh, like narrative concepts that come out of this campaign that we might see episodes on later. And in the meantime, we'll be working on them for now. I think that's been all of our opinions. Bonafide Kentucky Fried. We'll see y'all on the next episode. Yeah, almost do from the 7-Eleven.